Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, and today we are going to talk about the screening, diagnosis, treatment, and follow-up parameters for men who have been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Now, we're going to be talking with two gentlemen today. We have Paul Mizue. He is the head of the Prostate Cancer Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition since about 2011, and he is a prostate cancer survivor. And we have one of my colleagues, Dr. David Way. He's been in urology for almost two decades. Way to age you there, David. Oh, thanks. At uh, Queen's Medical Center currently. He is a cancer specialist, and he does robotic surgery and does pretty much cancer of the entire uh, genital urinary yeah, tract. System. It's prostate and, you know, Bladders, kidney and kidney. bladder comes along that as well. Absolutely. So I want to thank both of you for joining me today at, uh, at the body show. Thank now you. let's talk a little bit about the, the normal prostate. So Dr. David, I'm going to ask you, mm-hmm. why do men have prostates? What do they do? And what is the normal function? And then we'll talk a little bit about some of the abnormalities. So, so prostate is this uh, a walnut-sized small organ that's uh, beneath the bladder. The main function of it is two things. One is that it generates part of the ejaculation fluid. So when a person ejaculates, it mixes with a sperm. So the white ejaculation fluid that a person sees, majority of them come from the prostate and seminal vesicle. And the second thing is possibly it can prevent urinary tract infection. It secretes certain kind of chemicals in the prostate that will prevent men from getting urinary tract infection. And hence, in men, you know, you hardly hear that a guy will get UTI versus woman. Very true. That's, that's definitely true. Now, the prostate is a necessary organ. As you mentioned, it produces fluid that provides nutrients as necessary for sperm production and sperm survival, in addition to that antibacterial effect. So normally, the prostate is functioning, and people don't notice, men don't notice any problems with it at all. There isn't an issue. What are some of the signs that it's becoming a problem? Right. So, so the prostate, unfortunately, will grow with age. If a person gets, uh, say, get to be about 50, 60 years old, they start going to have an enlargement of the prostate, and that's when they're going to experience slowdown in the urinary stream, or they have to wake up more frequently at night to go urinate, or when they go to a urinal, it seems like it takes forever for them to empty out the bladder. So that certainly is a sign of benign prostate hyperplasia. And most of the time, the condition could be improved by using medication such as temsulosin or finasteride or detesteride. And they are not signs of prostate cancer. Prostate cancer, on the other hand, most of the time, early stage-wise, have no clinical symptoms at all. So the prostate, as men get older, can grow in size, and because it sort of grows right around that urethra, it actually can cause a problem, actually, with the ureter. It can actually cause a problem with urine exiting the bladder. Absolutely. So it's obstructing. So the size will gradually grow. So as long as a person continues to produce testosterone, prostate will continue to grow. That's just one of the very few organs of the body that will grow in size, you know, along with the age. And so that that may happen, and that may be a normal consequence of of getting older. Are there certain risk factors that would make someone more likely to have that enlargement represent a cancer? Or, in fact, it may be the normal-sized prostate that also develops a cancer. So we we now know about the normal function and growth of the prostate. Uh, What makes it become abnormal? So... um, so 
for for majority of people, um, you know, prostate cancer only occurs in about one out of seven people. So majority of people would have benign prostate hyperplasia. So like I mentioned earlier, it's going to be primarily urinary symptom, urinary frequency, urgency, hesitancy, and how to go urinate very often, urgency, sometimes with incontinence. The worst case scenario is that the prostate becomes so big, it becomes so obstructing that a person cannot empty the bladder completely. So they could develop urinary tract infection. They could have uh, bladder stone formation. And ultimately, if the bladder is so obstructing that they lose the bladder function, so they develop urinary tension. So they would have to wear a catheter permanently for the rest of their life. But, but again, those are not symptoms of prostate cancer. So the prostate cancer is primarily detected by combinations of finger examination of the prostate, what they call a digital rectal examination, and the PSA blood test. And so are there risk factors, certain people who should do that PSA test versus just everybody, age limits, anything right. along those lines? So, so that's a great controversy in terms of the PSA testing. And um, so the latest guideline from the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force is that you should have a PSA blood test. It ranges from age 55 to 69. Um, but, you know, there are guidelines from all the other associations, such as National uh, Comprehensive Cancer Network, recommendations from age 75 to 70, 45, from ages 45 to 75. From the AUA guideline is that you should start testing when you turn 40. And if your PSA level is less than one, then you don't have to get PSA tests again until you're 50. So, so there are many different guidelines in terms of the PSA testing. And the reason why we have so many guidelines that seem to be, they're not necessarily contradictory, but they don't say the same exact thing. Why do we have different societies recommending different things? Um, it's um, basically, it's, it's um, concern about over-testing. People, you know, a lot of time when we have, a, well, first of all, PSA is not 100% accurate. A person with elevated PSA level does not necessarily mean that a person is going to have cancer. Reason for elevated PSA could be due to enlargement of the prostate, prostatitis, or simply manipulation of the prostate. A person just have a sexual intercourse or have ejaculation, the PSA level certainly is going to be higher than a person who hasn't had, you know, ejaculation for the, for the few days. So, so PSA value could be falsely elevated Unfortunately, a lot of time when a urologist sees a person with elevated PSA, next thing you know is a recommendation for prostate biopsy. Now, the prostate biopsy is not totally benign. A person could have bleeding, but most significantly, a person could have a sepsis from the biopsy. So, so the chance of getting a serious complication from prostate biopsy is real. And um, so that's why, you know, talking about the PSA testing has to be careful, has to be a thorough discussion with the patient before we do a PSA tests. So there might be some patients who don't want to do any further testing, or maybe they have medical conditions that mm -hmm. would be so significant that they wouldn't even tolerate doing a biopsy. So we need to target the use of the PSA testing to those people for whom there could be potentially a benefit or that they're healthy enough that they could undergo some further investigation if necessary. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so a lot of time we correlate the health status with the age. After a certain age, such as over age 75 or over 80, if you were diagnosed to have prostate cancer, um, most of the time you're probably not going to die from prostate cancer. So there's you're probably going to die from something else, such as cardiovascular disease, such as cancer of some other type. So that's why a lot of time you don't necessarily have to screen people for prostate cancer after a certain age. 
But then on the other hand, too, is that, you know, for some younger patients, they could have severe cardiovascular problems. Uh, they already have a bypass surgery and they're still having chest pain in the early 50s. And those patients, we probably shouldn't be doing PSA screening, you know, universally just because they are only in the 50s. Well, and they also may not survive a surgery. Survive surgery, radiations, or prostate is not going to be an issue for them because they might die from, you know. They have something else. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about what happens when you get that diagnosis of prostate cancer. Now, Paul, you had that diagnosis, and you now head up the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. The mission that you have really, I think, is outstanding. It's an educational component to other people who get diagnosed and who want to know where can they get more information. You've been through this process, but that motivated you to establish this coalition of basically a support group that helps men to find a place where they can get some answers. Tell me about that. Well, a little bit of correction here. I didn't establish the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. I took over from another individual who has since retired from the function, a guy named Phil Olson. So he established it about uh, 2004, and after he served for several years, I took over in 2011. But it's basically an umbrella organization which oversees the entire area of support groups in Hawaii, and currently we have three groups in Hawaii representing the S2 organization. So we have uh, a group in the Kokini Hospital, a group at Palimomi Hospital, and a group in the Big Island. So altogether, well, we have on paper about 300 members, but perhaps we have 20 or 30 members who show up at any given time. But we try to educate the, the uh, individuals. Uh, usually there are re- recurrent uh, prostate cancer survivors or maybe just want to be interested in uh, knowing more about prostate cancer. Family members, wives, relatives, anybody who, who wants to show up, there are no dues. And we encourage anyone to learn more about prostate cancer in terms of our own experiences. We're not medical specialists, but we can have some opinion about our own treatment and procedures which may extend our knowledge. So that's the purpose of it, and it's not to necessarily steer anybody to any particular treatment or method, but simply uh, give them information in order to pursue their own best course of action because we believe strongly that information is needed in order to Uh, pursue your own beneficial treatment, whatever it might be, or non-treatment. I mean, it's up to each individual to be uh, their own advocates for health. And so without that information, you're kind of lost and perhaps even uh, dependent upon perhaps one doctor or perhaps you should see more than one doctor. So we encourage patients always to seek a second opinion on whatever procedures they may do because it could be life-threatening. Well, and there's no (coughs) better way to hear about something than to have somebody who's been through it share with you their experience. And it really does help to have people who might feel nervous and worried and concerned about something, have someone who's been there kind of walk them down that path and be their partner in that whole treatment course. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We'll be right back after this quick break. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. David Way. He is a urology specialist in cancer at Queens Medical Center in practice for almost 20 years and with Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition current leader since 2011, Paul Mizue, who astutely mentioned Phil Olson started the group and then you took over around 2011. And this is a wonderful opportunity for men or their loved ones who get diagnosed with prostate cancer to get more information from a group of folks who have kind of been there and have walked that path and and provide them with some extra resources and maybe some firsthand experience on how their treatment course has gone. We have an online website uh, that you can refer to. It's called www.hawaiiprostatecancer.org. So if anybody wants to have more information, we do have other locations in that particular website which you can refer get more information on. And we also have the meeting notices in that particular website. So it's www.hawaiiprostatecancer.org. And you and mentioned that anybody can come. Yes, anybody can come. There's no dues and no obligation to attend more than one meeting or any meetings. We keep all information confidential within the meeting itself. Uh, th- there are people who are somewhat uh, anticipatory or, or shy about revealing their own personal information, but without some uh, sharing information on your own condition, it's hard to give advice to other people. So you must be willing to share some information concerning your own condition. Uh, well, Paul, and you've never been shy, and you like to share. <laughs> well, we also have uh, we also appreciative of this particular broadcast because not only is this month uh, National Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, but later on, on Wednesday, September 19th, between 5 to 8 p.m., we will be participating in the 5th Annual Prostate Cancer Forum held at the UH Cancer Center, Kaka'ako. It's put on by the UH Cancer Center. We're very much appreciative of their involvement. The public is invited to this event at no cost to learn more about prostate cancer, and there will be speakers from the local health industry there. All right. So for those people who are interested, we'll also have that information available uh, on the website, hawaiipublicradio.org, with some links and connections. Now, uh, Dr. David, tell Mm -hmm. me, when you have someone who comes in, we've talked about prostate can grow as a normal consequence of aging. PSA testing should be done and targeted to individuals at certain age groups and certainly of certain Mm -hmm. health conditions where they can tolerate further treatments. Now, when you have an elevated PSA that you identify and you've ruled out those other potential confounding factors that you mentioned that could have led to the elevation, what are some of the things that lead you to consider whether or not somebody needs to have biopsies done and how do we do that process you know i remember right. when i was in medical school it was a totally different situation where you had an elevated psa you did a biopsy the results were there and that was your final verdict but these days it's there's so many more nuances to right, it right so um tradition you know traditionally what we do is get a psa blood test and see if it's elevated for the age and then do a finger examination do a dre if um, you have combination of elevated PSA and you have an abnormal prostate on finger examination, that is a, a great likelihood the person has a prostate cancer. So you just go straight to you have a transrectal ultrasound guided biopsy of the prostate. Basically, the biopsy is going to be done uh, transrectally. An ultrasound probe is going to be inserted into the rectum, which is going to show the urologist where the prostate is located. Then a lot of time, most urologists will use anesthesia, lidocaine, to inject into the rectal tissue to numb it up before a needle, biopsy needle, is placed within 
you know, different area of the prostate to remove tissue sample. Now, it gets tricky if a person just has simply elevated PSA but without any palpable nodule. Is that a falsely elevated PSA or is this just uh, a simply, you know, a person could just have a baseline PSA that's just high compared to other people? So nowadays, we could do multi-parametric MRI. So basically, it's an enhanced MRI study of the prostate. It will give you um, readings on the uh, prostate to show you the places where there might be a high-grade prostate cancer lesion. And with that, uh, it's called multiparametric or MPMRI. So with that finding, then we can merge the MRI images with an ultrasound to do a fusion biopsy. So when you have ultrasound real-time and merge with the MRI images, then you can target the lesions on the ultrasound based on the MRI information and do the biopsy in those selected area. So that will certainly uh, give you your higher, uh, uh, you know, better results in terms of identifying prostate cancer. Because the idea is that if you don't know exactly where to do the biopsy, mm -hmm. you might get a lot of normal tissue Correct. and miss the area of concern. Right. And, and uh, traditionally, we believe that prostate cancer, 70-80% of the time, is located in the peripheral zone, which is the area immediately adjacent to the rectum. And frankly, that's when you do the prostate biopsy, that's the area you're going to be targeting. But what if the cancer is located in the anterior zone? And if you don't have an MR, MPMRI, you won't be able to see the anterior zone cancer. So when that happened, and if you were to have this uh, you know, MRI images, you can use the ultrasound fusion technique and identify the anterior lesion and do a more targeted biopsy. Now, traditionally in the old days, if you were to have just solitary anterior lesion, posterior biopsy is negative, then the next step that you got to do is do a transperineal biopsy, which is going to be much more involved. Patient is going to be brought to the operating room under total anesthesia. Then you're going to do you know, this template transperineal saturation biopsy, try to find the anterior <laughs> lesion. And so this whole process, it just... It sounds like discomfort and potentially even further discomfort as right. part of the workup. But the idea is that you really want to make sure that you have completely identified if that individual has a cancer, and if so, what are the next steps on the Ex best way to identify and treat that? Exactly. So, so you know, at the end of the day, we, we are not doing this PSA, you know, and then do a biopsy just, just for, the, for the fun of it. We want to see if a person has prostate cancer, and, and prostate cancer does not need to be treated necessarily on everybody. So the NCCN guideline, NCCN is National Comprehensive Cancer Network. They have a guideline as to what type of prostate cancer needs to be treated. Now, for the low-grade prostate cancer, the recommendation is active surveillance. No need of surgery, no need of radiation. Active surveillance will be PSA periodically, ranges from every four months or every six months. And then you might want to have repeat uh, prostate biopsy if you were to have rising PSA level after so many years. And then um, for the intermediate sort of prostate cancer, Gleason 7, again, depends on if it's favorable or unfavorable. For the favorable Gleason 7, 3 plus 4 prostate cancer, most of the time, if your number of cores that was positive for cancer, you don't need treatment for, with a surgery or radiation. It can just be on active surveillance. So the indication for surgery now is less, much fewer, more restricted than before. And then when you have uh, a high-grade prostate cancer, Gleason A, 9, or 10, um, recommendation will be combination of hormonal therapy and radiation.
Doctor, uh, regarding PSA, uh, talk, talk to us mm-hmm. about the need for periodic uh, checking of the PSA, not just the baseline, but thereafter, because I understand right. that uh, if it shows a, a progression in the PSA over a short period of time, that that could show some right. possibility of uh, a growing cancer in, in your system. Right, right. So, so follow-up is, is very, very important. I mean, when a person has elevated PSA and had a negative prostate biopsy, the usual perception will be, I'm clean, I'm clear, you know, there's no cancer, I'm fine. The problem is biopsy, unfortunately, is not uh, 100% accurate. And especially, you say, if the prostate cancer is very small, on the first biopsy, first pass, you might miss the prostate cancer. And so that's why it's very important after one negative prostate biopsy, a person had to come back to the office, had to have a follow-up with the PSA, and just to gauge to see if there is continual elevation of PSA level. So as a patient after prostate cancer treatment, you have to have a follow-up because prostate cancer can come back. Maybe the first treatment is not complete. Maybe there is some cancer that's already outside the organ of the prostate. So initially, first couple of years, your PSA level might be very low, but unfortunately, if you are not follow up, you know, five, six years down the road, PSA level might, you know, return again and might be higher than what we like to see. All right. That's words of advice. Make sure you do go for the follow-up. We'll come back and talk more about this. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We'll be right back with more excellent information about what to do if you get this diagnosis and what kind of monitoring is necessary. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University, Inter-Island Solar Supply, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. David Way. He is a urology specialist in cancer treatment at Queens Medical Center. Almost 20 years or so, I keep rubbing that in because... We're probably about the same age. And Paul Mizue, he is currently running the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition since 2011 and a prostate cancer survivor. Now, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about what are the methods of diagnosis? Do you have to treat all prostate cancers if it's low grade? What do you do? What are the options? Is surgery the only option? There's radiation. There's other types of hormonal treatment that is available. Paul, you've never been shy about sharing your story. What was your diagnosis and what sort of treatment did you choose to undergo and how are you doing these days? Well, going to a urologist was very beneficial for me because I had uh, benign uh, prostate hyperplasia, which is a large prostate, and that was a mechanism for which I was going to the urologist periodically. And during that time, my urologist discovered a rise in PSA and it had escalated about 50% over six months. So in that case, he recommended a uh, biopsy, for which I did undertake. And at that time, it was a transrectal ultrasound biopsy, and it was a Gleason 7, 4 plus 3. So after uh, considering it for a while, I talked to about six or seven doctors, uh, different types of physicians, both here on the mainland. And, I, and one of my friends had the proton beam therapy on the mainland, which is not available here in Hawaii. And based upon the conditions of the particular treatment and its minimal side effects, I felt it beneficial for me. Uh, so I went to Loma Linda University Medical Center and got the treatment for nine weeks and returned, and I was free and clear for five and a half years. And then my PSA started to rise again. So 
that's that uh, made me realize that I'd come back again. So then I had the imaging done at the Phoenix Molecular Imaging Center in Phoenix, Arizona, to determine where the lesions remained, and it, it turned out to be in my prostate itself and one in the lymph node outside the prostate. So after more consultation, I determined that I wanted to take care of the prostate and the lesion outside. I went to Dr. Letter here in Hawaii to get the uh, IMRT radiation here on the lesion, and then I went to California again to get cryotherapy on the prostate lesion itself. And it, it was clear for about two and a half years, and then lo and behold, this year it started to rise again. So now I'm in, a, now I'm in the process of going to UCLA to get a uh, gallium-68 uh, PET imaging to determine where the uh, remaining lesions may be located and if it's treatable or not because it depends where they are, first of all, and whether they can detect it or not. So I'm in a state of flux right now, and hopefully uh, I can be in a beneficial position maybe a year from now. Well, and you certainly have had this happen not once, but twice as far as this rising PSA. And uh, Dr. Way, I want to make a point. Mm -hmm. You know, for those folks who get a negative biopsy the first time they have their treatment, they may have a tendency to say, hey, it's negative. I don't have to do anything any further. What sort of serial monitoring should they be doing, and who should they be doing it with? Should it always be their urologist? Should their primary care provider be doing PSA testing? What would be the mechanism by which they can right. be monitored? I mean, ideally is that, especially with the healthcare nowadays, we want primary care physician to be the gatekeeper. So so ideally is to have the uh, patient return to the primary care physician and have a PSA level check every six months. But unfortunately, a lot of primary care physicians just doesn't feel comfortable. Once a person has elevated PSA, there is always suspicion the patient will develop prostate cancer. So they'd much rather have uh, urologists do the follow-up. So, so usually the follow-up will be once every six months, have a PSA level check and finger examination at least once a year to follow on the prostate. Because sometimes, rare cases, a person could have perfectly normal PSA but still have a nodule on the prostate. So just one of those rare cases where you have prostate cancer with a normal PSA level. But the opposite could also be true. They right. could have a normal PSA and a very abnormal prostate. Oh, that's exactly right. So either way, mm-hmm. the combination of those two would be important. It would be very important. And, and so a prostate, like I said earlier, continue to grow. So a person has one negative prostate biopsy doesn't mean that uh, or one, you know, a slightly elevated PSA level doesn't mean that it's just going to stop there. It's not, not, not nothing bad is going to happen in the future because prostate will continue to evolve. If you were to have a small prostate cancer, you might not be found the first time. And so if you are not going to have a PSA follow-up, you're not going to see, you know, you won't be able to find that prostate cancer a few years down the road. So it's very important to have a regular PSA follow-up at least once a year, if not once every six months. And and there are going to be times where, you know, you, you're just tired of, you know, seeing the doctors. You don't want to go see doctors anymore, right? Uh, but just remember, you know, if you can get prostate cancer diagnosed early because more information is more powerful, it could be a low-grade cancer, and you don't have to worry about it. You can live with a low-grade prostate cancer for many years. You don't necessarily have to have a radiation treatment or have surgery. Your quality of life will still be excellent. 
And so if you do get it diagnosed early, your treatment options may be more expanded than if you wait until a later time. Absolutely. So if, if, you're, if you're diagnosed at a very late stage, unfortunately, when you have late stage cancer is already metastatic, there is only one treatment option, which is hormonal therapy. With well, hormonal therapy, essentially, is to deprive your body of any testosterone. Without testosterone, a person is going to feel tired, and it's going to develop osteoporosis, and it's going to have hot flushes. And that is the only treatment you have when you have metastatic prostate cancer. And also, that treatment is not going to last forever. Within maybe depends on the grade of cancer you have, you might develop castration resistant within about two to three years. In that case, um, you would have to go on to additional treatments. Well, I want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us today and joining me today on The Body Show. If you want more information about the Prostate Cancer Coalition, you can go to www.hawaiiprostatecancer.org. And Dr. David Way, I want to thank you for joining us today from Queens Medical Center, urology expert in handling prostate cancer, and Patrick Mizue from the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Our engineer is David Chong. We will see you next week right here on The Body Show. Thank you.